0: Welcome, you're listening to The Drive Podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Orlando. In our current series, we are walking through the letter of Philippians as the Apostle Paul writes to encourage the people of Philippi to live out their faith with joy and in unity. Let's listen in and see what God has in store for us. Welcome, I'm glad you guys are here. I told you last week that I'm going to try to tell more stories. I feel like I'm a horrible storyteller, so this one time at band camp, no actually, (laughs) I went there didn't I uh, I ran this I ran this race once just just once uh, it's a funny story. It's only funny in retrospect because it wasn't funny at the time. It was three weeks before my wife and I were moving up here to Orlando, and we've been here for about six months. And Pastor Chris, those of you who are here a couple of weeks ago, he was speaking. He's one of the uh, pastors here at First Orlando, a good friend of mine. We were on the phone having a conversation. He's the main reason my wife and I are here and I'm on staff. Uh, but he was about to be my boss, and here's how the conversation went. Hey, hey Cam, in three weeks... Uh, First Baptist Orlando We're going to be participating in a 5k race uh, Do you want to be involved with that It's a great opportunity to get to know some people Kind of build some camaraderie Build some, build some teamwork are you, are you interested in that First thought Running is not fun Uh, Second thought that immediately came right after that. Who gets to know one another while they're running a race, right? Uh, Third thought was, I have never run a race before. Fourth thought is, I'm seriously out of shape. Fifth thought, I loathe running. Like, I hate it. All those came really quick, like in a rapid succession. I was very impressed with myself. And so, because of the train of thought in my head, I thought naturally, what I was going to say to Chris was something along the lines of, Hey man, I really appreciate the offer, but I got I to gotta decline that right now. Um, but see, what happened was underneath those thoughts in my head were this this stream of other thoughts uh, that were driven by my sense of wanting to please people. Oh man, uh, this is my new boss and my new job and I really want him to like me and I want to impress him and, and, and maybe some of my other bosses are there and how bad can it really be and I ran a race, I think, when I was in like third grade and I can do this thing and so what came out of my mouth was, yeah, sure, let's do it, dude, yeah, I've never run a race before, Chris, and if you remember, Chris, he's like 1% body fat, all athletes athletic and fit, right? I'm not jealous at all. Uh, and, and those of you that run recreationally and competitively, I, I, I curse you. Uh, I'm happy for you. But you know that in a race like that, there's a competitive and there's like a, uh, what's the other one? Like a, non-competitive yes thank you thank you (laughs) my athleticism is low uh so there's a leisurely part you know you can walk it like jog walk walk jog is that what it is I'm so not athletic uh at all you heard about my story last week and my lack of softball skills um and then there's a competitive part of the race where you actually have to run it and have to like finish in a certain amount of time and naturally Chris signed us up for the competitive part um and so the, the rest is history. We ran the race, uh, and we succeeded. We got under the 32-minute mark uh, and 38-minute uh, mark. I don't, I don't even know. I blocked that part of my memory out. It was the best of times, the worst of times. I, I'm convinced I did internal damage. It still hurts when I breathe in my rib ribcage. Um, point is, in the midst of my lamenting and loathing about racing, Paul uses this exact picture. Uh, to describe the journey of faith. He calls it a race. He calls it uh, a marathon. He paints this picture of a runner. I'm like, really, Paul? Really, Holy Spirit? Thanks, I can't identify. And he talks about it here in Philippians 3. It's what we're gonna look at tonight if you have a Bible. But he talks about it even more so over in 1 Corinthians 9. I mean, all over the New Testament, there is this picture that the journey of faith is this journey, it is this race, it is this marathon And specifically in the words that we're going to read tonight in Philippians 3, there's this aspect in Paul's words of being on the way yet not arriving that translates into this process, this maturing process of what it means to know Christ. And that's where we were last week for those of you that were here. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, Paul cries out, I want to know Christ. That man's been walking with Jesus for 30 years and and he's still saying there is more to know of Jesus. I want to know Jesus Christ. And then he qualifies that and he explains what it means to know Christ. Because for the apostle Paul, knowing Christ meant something very specific and concrete. Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And I want to know, be conformed to his death. Three specific ways of knowing Christ. So that, verse 11... And Paul says, I want to know Christ so that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Verse 11, I want you to hear the word perfection. Okay, that's that's the end in mind for Paul. Perfection. That's what he's going for in verse 11. He's talking about paradise regained here. Paul says, I want to know Christ so that I can know the perfection that Jesus came to make possible for those who belong to him. But to make sure that Paul doesn't leave anyone thinking that perfection is something that can actually be attained in this life on this side of glory, he quickly brings us down from the clouds and he makes sure that we all know that he hasn't arrived yet at this place of perfection. Look at me, Philippians chapter three, verse 12. Philippians three, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it, Or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul's reminding us here. That maturity in the faith is this process towards perfection, but that none of us have reached that place yet. Now, this is both comforting and extremely frustrating. It's comforting because a guy like Paul, a spiritual giant like him, he still hasn't arrived, right? He has not reached this pinnacle of perfection yet. Paul, we see all throughout the New Testament, still experiences these incredible highs and these soul-quaking lows, but it's frustrating because really we, we all just want to arrive. Like we all want to finish the race. We want to finish the course. We want to we hear that well done from our Heavenly Father. And while it's true that I want all those things to happen, if I'm really honest with you tonight, really, I, I just kind of want relief sometimes relief from this consistent striving to be like Jesus and this constant falling flat on my face. I've asked this question myself, and maybe, maybe you have, what's the use, right? What's the use? If I can't be perfect, then why bother? I've tried to live like Jesus, and I inevitably come up short. I want out of this tension of trying to live and to love like Christ and always finding myself missing the mark or constantly struggling with these habitual sins that I run back to that Paul talks about later in this chapter, like a dog returning to his vomit. It's a a disgusting picture, but it's something that I think all of us experience on a daily basis And so maybe you're asking the question, is it worth it at all? Is it worth following after Jesus if I can't fill in the blank, right? If I can't have sex, if I can't engage in a lifestyle where where I meet my needs and my desires and my wants whenever I want, however I want, spending my money on whatever I want to do. What's the use? And there is this tension this tension of following Jesus and yet this consistent underlying dissatisfaction with life. For a lot of us, even for me, the preacher, the pastor. And so what, what in the world is this all about? What are we supposed to do with this reality? And these are all legitimate questions. And they're all asked in the midst of this tension, right? And, and to the tension, Paul answers very clearly, yes, yes. This journey is worth it. Because even on our best days, here and now, where we're experiencing incredible intimacy with Jesus and experiencing the power of God to overcome sin and his beauty and his goodness, they are but a flicker of the brilliance that we will experience one day. And so this journey is worth it because the ultimate goal is worth it. And what is the ultimate goal? Paul says it. Man, I haven't attained it. I haven't yet become perfect perfection is the ultimate goal it is our blessed hope right this future that is promised based on the scriptures in which we place our faith that one day king jesus will return will establish a everlasting kingdom will forever defeat death wipe out sin defeat sin and give us a brand new glorified body that is no longer stained and strained by indwelling sin where Jesus is drawing every, t- every tear and every eye. And he's restoring all things and making all things new. Paradise, regained. That's the promise. That is the beautiful hope that we hold out for. That's the ultimate goal. That's what Paul is talking about. He's like, man, I haven't laid hold of that yet. I'm not perfect. I don't experience that kind of life yet, this hope of a new heaven and a new earth. And now here's the rub. Here's the tension. Because of salvation... Because of the life of Christ, his death and his resurrection, we have all experienced a foretaste of the glory and of the goodness that we await. And we experience this foretaste because Jesus Christ himself has come and made his home inside of us. And because we have been given a capacity to receive and contain and to give expression to the very life of Christ, we now have the awesome privilege and the of responsibility to experience, if, if even only in a small way, some of that beauty and some of that goodness that we have to look forward to in the communities that we live in and that we move in and that we have our being in. We're to experience these snatches of heaven in the way that we love one another as Christ loved us in the way that we meet one another's needs because our needs are being richly met in the abundance of Christ who's faithfully providing for us. We are to create these kind of pilot plants, these forerunner satellite cities within a city that mirror the heavenly city that is to come, whose, whose principles and foundations are love and joy and peace and patience and forgiveness and long suffering. Those are the foundations of the city to come. And because Christ lives inside of us, we have the privilege and the responsibility to become people who pray like this. Lord, your will be done. God, your kingdom come on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. But the truth is, many of us are not experiencing any of that. In the midst of this tension, none of the joy, none of the satisfaction, none of the richness and abundance that is ours in Christ. Why? It's got a lot to do with our misunderstanding of the tension. See, in a word, what Paul is talking about in these few verses is our sanctification. Sanctification is a big theological word that really speaks to the process of Christians growing up into the fullness of Christ-likeness. It is this process of us growing up into what is already true about us because of what God has done in our hearts through Christ. Sanctification comes from a Greek word, "hagias," and it means to be made distinct or set apart, Right? It's the idea that because of what God has done through salvation, theological aside, let's talk about the doctrine of salvation. Because of what God has done in coming and making our hearts alive, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, Ephesians 2. And so God came and he regenerated our hearts. He made our hearts alive. And after he did that, he then justified us. Justification is God declaring us righteous based not on our performance, not on our good works, but upon the performance of another, Jesus Christ and his righteousness. It's as if God looks at you and sees the righteousness of Christ. That is a work of God in and through us. Nothing we did got us to that place. So God regenerates us. He justifies us. Then he sanctifies us. Now here's the cool thing about sanctification. It is both an objective act in time and a progressive process that lasts for all of our life. We are sanctified when God saves us. God sets us apart and makes us distinct because he puts the Holy Spirit within us. And then for the rest of our lives, we are learning to walk and grow up into this distinctiveness, this sanctification, this set apartness. And that goes on until Jesus splits the sky and comes back and he gives us a new body that is glorified and he brings about a new heavens and a new earth in the city of Jerusalem that comes down. And so doctrine of salvation and where you cut your teeth on biblically, you may have grown up to learn it in a different way, but we are regenerated, justified, sanctified, and we are glorified. Now, why the explanation of this theological doctrine? Because in our text tonight, Paul is essentially saying we are living in the tension between our justification and our glorification. And so Paul says in our sanctification, we need to be mindful of a couple of things or we will miss the big picture of what God is doing. That's what Paul's doing in our text tonight. He's helping us to thrive in the midst of our sanctification. And if we miss out on these things we're going to find ourselves derailing and heading off into these erroneous paths where there is no life, but bondage and destruction and decay is where the enemy wants us to live. And so Philippians 3, 12, let's dive in. Let me, let me pray really quickly. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we all feel the tension of becoming something we already are, yet consistently struggling in a fallen and a broken world. Jesus, would you give us a glimpse of the greater reality of what you will do one day and what we have been made partakers of here and now? Help us to thrive in this tension of the already and the not yet. And Father, would you allow your word to speak to us, to encourage us, to equip us to live out this sanctification with hope, with obedience, with perseverance. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing we need to be mindful of, chapter three, verse 12. And it's, it's common sense, but sense isn't that common these days. If you watch the TV or you know, presidential debates, you'll see common sense isn't very common. The first thing we need to be mindful of in the midst of our sanctification process is that we need to acknowledge that we've not arrived. Okay, look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Listen, Jesus didn't save you so that you could sit on the sidelines and wait for heaven to come. Salvation is dynamic. It is not static. I've told you this before. Eternal life isn't something to get screwed on as an extension to the end of your life. Eternal life is the life of Christ. The life of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And when you get saved, you receive eternal life. The very life of God, of Christ, by the Spirit, inside of you, equipping you with every source and every supply to live out what God has called you to live. Salvation is dynamic. It is not static. And if you are standing still, you are missing the boat and you are falling for a lie. And so Paul says, I have not attained this perfection. Now, why is he talking about this perfection? Well, because false teachers... We're creeping into the church and we're spreading this theology of spiritual perfectionism. This false view of spirituality, it always leads to one of two extremes, okay? This idea that I'm perfect, that I've attained everything that I need in this walk with Jesus, it leads to one of two extremes. It leads to a spiritual condemnation, that says, man, I will never arrive, I will never achieve, and thus a defeated life that strives through legalistic rule keeping out of a sense of duty emerges. It is this broken life that never thinks that they can qualify or become what God has called them to live, never tasting the great joy and delight of knowing Christ in the midst of the journey. But this false view of perfectionism, it isn't just condemnation it leads to, it also leads to commendation this false sense that commends us to God, this idea of spiritual pride and smugness where we look down on other people and we lose sight that we are still quite capable of egregious sin against our God. This this spiritual and moral looseness, the reformers called it antinomianism, this idea that I'm anti-law, that I can do whatever I want and Jesus Christ forgives me and so I'm going to just live loosely and look down on everybody who doesn't have the freedom that I have. Paul attacks that junk in Romans chapter six. And so we can't, we can't pretend that we have arrived, that we are in process. And Paul says, listen, I have not attained this yet. And guys, if anybody was close to having attained it, Man, wouldn't it be the Apostle Paul? And yet he humbly acknowledges here that he was still in pursuit of knowing Christ, of bringing into the realm of his daily experience the reality of what is his because of what Christ had done. Look at that in verse 12. Jesus Christ had already laid hold of him. That's the foundation for Paul's pressing on. That's the foundation for Paul continuing to go forward. I press on that I might lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of. And what is Paul saying here? He's saying that there is a fullness and a completion that has been graced to him in Christ. A fullness and a completion in which he is not yet fully functional, functionally perfect. Again, sanctification is growing up into this fullness that I've received in Christ. It is learning to be an accurate expression of everything that Jesus Christ has worked into me. Remember chapter two, verse 12 and 13, I work out my salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in me, both willing and to work his good pleasure. And so Paul says, man, Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. There is a completion and a perfection to my salvation though I haven't learned to express that yet. That's the journey of faith. It's learning to become more and more like Jesus. I hope every now and then that there is an expression of Christ in Cameron Sandal. Those of you who know me and know me well, there are more unchrist like expressions of Cameron Sandal, because I'm, I'm a work in progress. We all are. But we're growing up into this fullness that is in Christ. I've not arrived. Paul hasn't arrived. You have not arrived. We have a perfect salvation. And we're not yet perfect expressions of that. Does that make sense? There's a motivation there though. And it's a really safe place to be. Wherein we can still retain a boldness with our God. And yet a humility at the same time. I've been perfectly saved. Thank you Jesus. Now help me learn how to walk that out. There aren't any gaps in our salvation package. Jesus lives in you. He's not up there and you're down here and you've got to do some stuff to get up to him. Christ Jesus has come and taken permanent residence inside of you and you now have everything you need to walk in holiness and righteousness. Now learn to walk that out. Now walk that out. Now walk that out. That was, I hope they, didn't. okay. Most of us can readily identify with this point, right? That I'm not arrived, that I'm not perfect. I mean, everything in our personal experience validates this truth. And yet again, many see this and we allow it to drive us to one of these two extremes. Condemnation, I will never be what God calls me to be. Commendation, man, I am golden, I can do whatever I want. There is a balance in the middle where we are bold with Christ and we are humble and we do not take casually the holiness of God. So Paul presses on, right? This pressing on, it's a Greek word that's used of a sprinter. And it refers to this aggressive, energetic action. And it makes me wonder, how aggressive and energetic are we in pursuing Christ? I mean, all kinds of conviction in that question, right? How energetic and how, how aggressive are we in pursuing Jesus, of becoming an accurate expression of his life? But we don't just acknowledge that we've not arrived in this sanctifying process. We also must forget what lies behind and reach for what lies ahead. We have to both forget and reach. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. One thing I do, Paul says. There is a singular priority to Paul's life. Some of us don't have a singular priority for anything. We've got five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 things in our life that are all vying for all of our attention. Paul talks in Colossians 1 about Jesus's preeminency. That's a big word for Jesus's first placeness. I've said this before. You don't make Jesus first place. He already is. Now organize your life around that reality and truth and watch how things begin to make sense and fall into place because Christ is the one who is at the head of your life. And so Paul's got this singular priority. Man, there's so many stories we could go to. We go to Mary and Martha. Jesus comes for some grub. Martha's working, she's cooking, she's cleaning. Mary's doing what? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha, bless her heart, goes to Jesus. And we knock Martha for this. But man, this story gives us the freedom to bring all of our frustration to Jesus. And Martha brings her frustration to Jesus and says, Jesus, what's going on? Why isn't Mary helping? And Jesus doesn't rebuke her for bringing the story to him. He rebukes her for saying, listen, she's, she's doing the one thing, the right thing. He's not saying, Martha, it's not okay that you're serving. But there needs to be a singular priority. Priority. The rich young ruler, he had it all. Jesus, what, is it, what does it take to inherit eternal life? He said, Go and sell all your possessions and follow me. Doesn't mean we all need to be poor, but what is the one thing that you think is profitable that really is keeping you from pursuing Jesus? That's the one thing you need to let go of. I'm getting off. There is intentionality and determination in Paul here. He says, one thing I do. There is no accidental here. There's no complacency. One thing I do. And then he gives two directives. His math is all screwed up. One thing, two directives. But it's the same coin, two different sides. First, we need to do some forgetting, right? We need to forget what is behind us. But let me tell you, Paul didn't get some spiritual gift of amnesia from God, okay? He tells us all about his past, right? There isn't some divine erasure that removed everything that was playing on the tapes up in his memory banks. But Paul is saying that what is behind me, listen, biblical forgetting means that I am no longer shaped and determined and identified by my past. Some of y'all have been so allowing your sins and your past mistakes and failures to so name you that you have crippled yourself and disqualified yourself from ever being used by God. And God's saying, listen, when I saved you, you got a redeemed past also. Doesn't mean that you still don't have consequences to your choices, but your past doesn't name you anymore. I name you. And God is saying, I am in the business of redemption and restoration, And so biblical forgetting is no longer allowing what's behind us in our past to name us. Your sin doesn't name you. It doesn't. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. That's why I don't call myself a sinner saved by grace. I am a saint who sometimes sins. We can argue semantics. Semantics but it helps me understand and know that I am a holy, righteous, being loved child of God who went back to the far country to try to find life and it's not there. And my heavenly father is saying, Cameron, I love you. There's no life over there. Come back. Come back to where life is. It's in Christ, Colossians 3, one through four. Christ is our life. And so we need to do some forgetting, but it's not just our failures we need to forget. It's our successes too, okay? If we continue to place our faith in and determine our value and significance from the successes and the performance and our accomplishments, I promise you, you will stop trusting in God and you will trust only in yourself. And that is the quickest way to find yourself in the far country. And I think we also need to forget our past revelations of God. What I mean is this. Some of y'all are camping out on what God did like back in 1983 when I was born so maybe 92 but here's the point some of us haven't heard from God in years we serve a risen living speaking present tense revealing God Man was only good for the day and so God's mercies are new every day and we need to learn to listen for God's voice Holy Spirit speak afresh guys if you aren't opening up your word and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you Man, you are walking into your day naked and defenseless. And so we need to forget sometimes. Now, I don't mean that we don't place spiritual mile markers, okay? Come thou fount, one of my favorite hymns. There's a line in it. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. Who knows what an Ebenezer is? Hmm? It is a Scrooge, but not biblically. Well done. (laughs) In 1 Samuel chapter 7, uh, Samuel and the Israelites are about to get routed by the Philistines and they're coming to attack and Samuel gets on his face and he prays to God and God comes and routs the Philistines. And so what Samuel does is he dedicates that moment to God and he raises up a stone, um, kind of like a a monument of stone. He, He puts a pile of rocks together and he calls that place Ebenezer. Ebenezer means a pile of rocks, God's help, a stone of help. And so I raise my Ebenezer. I raise up my pile of rocks. It's important that we remember the spiritual mile markers of when God did this thing. But we don't go back here every time we talk about what God has done. We need to start learning how to talk about what God is doing, present tense. And so we, we forget what is behind. But that's not all we do. We also, uh, we also reach forward. We reach forward to what lies ahead. And this is a runner right? Running the race, approaching the tape. Can you see me in that 5k stretching for the finish? Don't, don't picture that. It was very underwhelming. Okay. Uh, picture somebody else. Okay. There you go. Usain Bolt killed it. I mean, it was awesome. Do you see the effort? He is throwing himself, exercising every muscle, everything he's got to get across the finish line. And he didn't need to. I mean, he had a, a foot or two on him. One of these days I'll be able to run that fast in heaven when I get a glorified body. But the straining, the stretching, the lunging, the reaching with all of his being. I mean, Paul's hands are stretched out asking, what's new, Father? What do you have to say to me today? What do you want to do through me today? What is your word on this crisis in my life? We forget what's behind We're no longer named by our past. We reach forward to what's ahead with open hands and open hearts, expecting to see and hear from our God who is still speaking to us. And so this is what we are to do in the tension, the tension of living in a fallen and broken world seeing snatches of heaven and the glory and the beauty and goodness of Jesus Christ, making us more like himself. This is what we do, acknowledging we've not yet arrived, forgetting, reaching. This is what we do. Why do we do it? Why do we press on? Three things, the goal, the prize, and the upward call. Look at verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. The goal is this, Jesus, I wanna know you And I want to be an expression of your life. Jesus always answers that prayer, y'all. I want to know you and be an expression of your life in this moment, whatever it is, good, bad, or ugly. That's the goal here. I don't wanna miss out on anything by losing sight of Christ in the tension. What's the prize? The prize is the revelation of the nature of God. The prize is not feeling good. The prize is not looking smarter than other people so you can get the applause of your fellow friends. The the prize is not economic wealth. It's not a great name. It's not a great reputation. It's not notoriety. Man, the prize is the revelation of of the nature of who God is both to you, but many times through you. You get that, right? Sometimes God is more interested in doing a work with people around you than just you. We said this back in chapter one of Philippians, you may be the very roads that God is traveling to get the gospel to people. And sometimes it's painful. That's why Paul said, I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to the image of his death. Now what's this upward call? (laughs) This is tough. You want to know what the upward call is? The upward call of God is whatever mess you're in right now. That's what the upward call of God is. The call in our life that drives us upward to God in crisis whatever feelings you're experiencing it's whatever situation whatever circumstance whatever crisis these are literally the sound God's voice is making beckoning you to bring this to God and say God what is your word on this situation in my life crisis is the sound God's voice is making my four-year-old since we moved here to Orlando pees wherever she wants we had this down before we moved. And we've been here six months and it's like, okay, what are we having? A development delay here? What is going on? She's just peas, and she's struggling and she's having, she's having this, uh, this, what's it called where you go backwards? Where you go backwards. She's having this backwards thing. Regression. There it is, regression. Yes, yeah, she's having this. I'm having a regression. Why did I tell you that? Um, wait for it. Oh, yeah, here it is. 3 a.m., She walks in the other night soaking wet. Everything, I do not want to wake up. And that's the call to worship. That's the call to worship for me. Now, seldom do I thank you, Jesus. Let me give you thanks in this moment and praise you for this this interruption to my sleep. And yet it's the call to worship. The upward call of God in Christ. I don't know what your upward call is. Are you ignoring the calls? Are you ignoring the opportunities, the crisis, the circumstances that God has placed you in so that you may know him and be an accurate expression of his life? What was the upper call of God for Paul? Remember, he's in jail. That's where he's writing this letter, guys. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He doesn't know if he's going to get out alive. And how did he respond? Did he grow despondent and depressed? No, no. Man, he sought God and he pursued Jesus. And what happened? Man, the entire imperial guard heard about the gospel. People getting saved in in Caesar's own palace. That's big time right there. Remember, Paul was always looking for God in all the things, at all the times, and in all the places. Throwback to, I don't know, September 14th. And this whole book, it's all connected. Connected. And so the prize, the goal, the upward call of, excuse me, God in Christ. God wastes nothing in our lives on this journey towards Christ-likeness, on this journey towards perfection. So we must acknowledge we haven't arrived. We must forget what lies behind. We must reach for what is ahead of us. Verse 15, let me finish. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude and if in anything you have a different attitude god will reveal that to you also however let us keep living by that same standard to which we've attained paul saying let's keep following this line of thinking walk this line Listen for the spirit afresh. See every situation and circumstance you're in as the call of God, the call to worship. Fight against the false notion that you've arrived. Don't be derailed by your past. Don't be stagnant and complacent in pursuing Jesus Christ. And what's the standard we keep living to? It's the standard of Jesus Christ, who always lived dependent and submitted to the Father's will. Look in John 5, John 6, John 8, John 10, John 12, John 14. Jesus, over and over again, I only do what the Father does. I only say what I hear the Father say. I only go where the Father tells me to go. I did not come of my own volition, but the one who sent me. And so we are to live in the same dependent posture because Jesus Christ lives inside of us and wants to express his same submitted, dependent life through us. Guys, we're learning every day, moment by moment, to live in the tension of having received a full and perfect salvation and learning how to walk in that fullness and walk in that perfection. And the day will come when we are free from these bodies of death and we will see our Savior face to face, but we still fight for that now, that intimacy now, that pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ now. It's worth it. It's worth it. And for those of us who know Jesus and have tried to find life in meeting every one of our felt needs and desires and and living in unchecked rebellious lawlessness, I mean, I think you would all agree there's no life there. Christ is our life. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to see you on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. in the Student Center at First Baptist Orlando. You can check us out on Facebook. It is the easiest way to get in touch with us and find out what is going on in our ministry.